The following announcement has been paid for by the Major World Order. This is Billy Walter Peck. And with me, Hosvar, a.k.a. Heartbreak Hosvar, a.k.a. Handsome Hosvar, a.k.a. What are you doing? My intro, duh. Yeah, but this is a commercial. Oh. <laughs> and I am the big Jake Boski, Jake Wyatt, and this is the Major World Order. We are a podcast focusing on the incredible community that the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast has built. We have interviewed all three of the hosts, Smart Mark Sterling, Matt Cardona, and and Brian Myers, as well as a slew of major marks. Don't forget about Rory Fox. Even Rory Fox. So tune in to anchor.fm slash major world order to find the show and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at major world order. Because when you listen to the MWO, you're MWO for life. The following announcement has been paid for by the major, major, major world order. Hey, this is Jason Brooks. I play Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Roseblood and Vengeance, and you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Warning, the following episode may contain spoilers for Roseblood, a Friday the 13th fan film. Listener discretion is advised. Christmas, Moose brings to me some new blood. Peter Anthony with his Friday the 13th fan film, Rose Blood. Welcome back, horror fans, to another episode of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host, Moose, and we're going to dive down into another Friday the 13th fan film, and it's the most recent fan film, and probably might actually be the goriest. And here to talk to us about it, from Roseblood, a Friday the 13th fan film, is writer, director, producer, and actor, Mr. Peter Anthony. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me on the show, man. It's a big oh. honor. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, Roseblood, it's been you know it, it came out uh briefly talked with jason brooks your jason about it last month on our uh podcast and so i was super excited to see it uh, yeah I'd, I'd been waiting for it and i'd actually been waiting on it a lot longer because like when the first trailer dropped i'm like oh this is gonna be awesome you know and then talking to jason about it and it's like all right you know i can't wait and like the timing like his episode dropped and then like Two or three days later, Roseblood dropped. So I'm like, this is perfect. Talk yeah. to Jason. Go watch a movie. Great. And <laughs> now, having watched it, I first question I got to ask, where did the story come from? I mean, I know it's a continuation. You know, it's your continuation of Seven. But there's some elements to the story that I'm obviously aren't part of the original movie. So where did the idea for this story come from it's a long story that i'll try to make short um vengeance i was originally supposed to be in vengeance too so i was supposed to survive 
the encounter with Jason in Vengeance 1, because if you remember, you don't really see me die, the head prisoner there, in Vengeance 1. Um, and we wrote it out that I live, and I'm a major character in 2. And that was the whole script. And it was a big deal. And long story short, there was actors that couldn't reprise their role and some other things. So it didn't make sense for me then to be alone in the woods. So Jason's like, hey, man, I don't think it works as much. Is it okay if we don't have you? I go, dude, the story is more important than me. So no big deal. So now I'm free, right? So he was going to shoot one week, and then he was going to pause a week and shoot another week for Vengeance 2. And I said, hey, in that one week down, since all the actors are there, maybe I could do like a little 20-minute short and part seven is one of my favorite movies ever. And um, I'm like, we'll do that. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, thanks, man. And it went from there, started to write some stuff. Some people liked it. Somebody hit me up, said I have Lars' number. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get Lars. You know, so <laughs> so I sent her an email like, hey, Lars, you know, we that's me and her in Chicago. We met in Chicago and not going to ever read it out. And uh, this and this, I have this script, you know, you want to hear about it? She goes, yeah. I'm like, dude, I, was like, I wasn't even fucking ready. I was like, what? You want to hear about it? So hit her up and um, she's like, what is it about? I'm like, I don't know, but this is what I think it is. She's like, well, go figure it out and get back to me. Went back to the board, wrote her part one day, came back. She said, yes. Now imagine doing it. I'm like a fan. I'm like, what? So now like the pressure's on me. I'm like, holy shit. I have to write the whole script. So th- I write three days. I write the whole script, come back, give it to her. She loves it. She says, um, why, don't, why don't we get uh, Terry Kaiser? I'm like, Dr. Cruz. She's like, yeah. I'm like, you think you're gay? And she's like, yeah. She sends a message. I hit him up. We get him. Imagine <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm like, what? The fuck? Yeah. And, and, and then Terry's like, we can get Nick. And then I'm like, well, what really call up Nick? He's in. And, and I don't even have like stories around them yet. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what? So from a 20 minute short, literally three days later, we got a full film. So write the whole thing out, do the Indiegogo, massive success. We get $52,000 in 45 days. Uh, Sean Lutz my executive producer. He's Sanaya Lutz's father. I'm like, man, where are we going to shoot this? We have the old vengeance shack. But how are we going to shoot a whole building in there? It's going to be tough. He's like, oh, no big deal. I'll just build a building. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I'll build a building. 60 feet long, 45 feet wide, and 35 feet tall with you know, five different rooms. Whatever you want, you write it up, you draw it, and I'll make it. I'm like, what? So, dude, from there, it just kind of blew up in, into, like, your dream come true. And then I was, like a, I was like a kid in a candy store, man. I'm like, where should I put it? I'm like, Camp Crystal Lake Research Facility from Jason X. It makes sense. It's on the lake. It doesn't have far to travel. Not like Freddy vs. Jason where he travels three states, you know? So, so it made sense. And then it's like, okay, well, what else would I want? Well, who's really cool that we never heard about? The Duke. Right? I don't like nine, but the Duke is real cool. Besides Tommy, probably the coolest character yes. in the yes. series. And and I wanted to fill in, you'll remember me. That was in my brain. I'm like, remember when he says, remember me? And he hits him with the cuff at nine? I'm like, well, we're going to tell the audience why that happened. And that's what you see in Rosebud. So I just kind of kept filling in all these like child things because we're so lucky. It's a fan film. We're not a studio. We can just do whatever we want. You know what I'm saying? With no real repercussions. So that's how it, it started. And it just literally within a week became a humongous thing. I'm glad you brought it up because like when I'm watching movies like this, like I knew uh, Terry Kaiser was in it. I knew Lara was in it. And like outside of that, I wasn't paying attention to the uh, – opening credits when i was watching you know, i i try not to because you never know who's going to be in it and right. you'll, you like to be surprised and we'll get to some more surprises later and just in case anyone didn't hear the message beforehand there may be spoilers so you've been warned there will be. don't yell there at me be. um <laughs> so yeah i didn't see 
on the first watch down at the bottom where it said that Duke was going to be in it. So I'm watching. I'm like, oh, shit, that's Duke. You know, yeah. and hands down, favorite character. You know, just yeah. his swagger and just that, you know, just the way he's, you know, he's always carried himself. And yeah, we get kind of like an origin story with Duke. And I, I loved it. Awesome, man. There's one line, you know, you, you you zeroed in on the remember me, but the one that I liked the most was when Duke's in the uh, interrogation room. When I get out of here, I'm going to send you straight to hell. Yeah, I was yeah. like, ooh, he did the thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> as far as the Duke man, did you notice his costume man's fucking spot on? I mm-hmm. found the exact jacket. So the thing in the front of a cowboy has called a bolo. Never knew that, right? Yeah. So I'm like, dude, I can't never find that thing. Well, my guy, my friend Ruben Morales, he's really good. He 3D prints. He's really known in the community. And he said, I can make it. And he's like, give me the pictures of the movie. So he gave him the pictures. He created that bolo. So that thing on his hat is the exact one. He has the nine, the exact hat, the exact jacket, the vest, the shirt, the boots, the exact belt down to a T. And if you notice, man, spoiler, sorry. On his desk, when he's talking, when he calls his, his wife, there's a box, a donut box, and it says pink dress, hot dogs, and donuts from part nine. I, I don't want to butcher the actor's name because I'm terrible with names. Jay Quinn, bro. We call him Q. Everyone calls him Q. Q does an amazing job. He he really comes across as a younger Duke. I mean, yes. he could very easily be the early version of Creighton Duke. He even looks if if he got rid of his dreads, he even looks like him a little bit. Yeah, looks like him. Yeah. He, he has that same swagger. You know, it's right. just like man, this same was build, same body build. Yeah, like man, this was excellent casting, right? I mean, that's like spot on. <laughs> yeah. and, and even when you first introduced, right, he kind of does the hand solo. He's like, man, "Call me the Duke." Just cocky. Oh, yeah. I loved it, man. Yeah, yeah. We, we get an origin story for the Duke, which. Again, great. And one of the other things we get is this movie does kind of like a uh, flashback. Two different timelines. Yeah, because we start in present day uh, with Dr. Cruz in the facility. And yeah, which as you're watching, you're like, wait, no, he he died. How is he here? And you're like, and then you find out, oh, it's she's it's in her head okay and then we flash right. back to the 80s and you know it's the 80s because there's 80s movie posters everywhere <laughs> yeah. yeah over the top you know yeah you know, so it, it was fun like and listeners when you watch it go through and just go, look for all the 80s references it's a trip um yeah. now, if you don't mind me asking i'm 45 how old are you i'm 37 yeah, so close. So you grew up with a lot of the yeah. stuff I grew up with. Yeah, so like yeah. when they're playing Nintendo and you know, having that Nintendo-Sega debate, you know, it's like, yeah. I remember that conversation, yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, if, if you look at the gen- – nobody sees this because we kind of blocked it. When the general and MP Strang are in the room, when that altercation happens with Rose, if you look at the wall, there's a cat hanging off the branch. Oh, shit. Remember how popular that yes. book is? Yeah, it's on the back wall. We we have the young Tina fresh off of seven, and she she's in the facility. She's worried about you know she, she wants to go you know she wants to leave, and she's basically getting pressed for how did you summon Jason, right? 
and it's it's fun because like at that point it, as you're watching the movie and you see her getting pressed and you see you're in the facility and you see duke it's almost like timeline wise you could bypass jason takes manhattan and this you could have seven roseblood nine but they, they're all tied in. You're right. Eight, nine, and X are all tied into this. You know, because like eight seems to be the one that everybody has the most issues with. So, yep. well, eight and I think five. Five, yeah, yeah. <laughs> five, there's no real Jason. Correct. Yeah, you know, so. There's a spoiler, if you, if I can give, if you want me to give away when he calls his wife. I don't know if you caught on to it. So when he calls, uh, I'll give it away, spoiler free, Turn turn it off, you don't want to hear it. Uh, when he calls his wife, he asks for his son. And she. And he goes, where's my boy? And she goes, oh, he's boxing. He goes, oh, boxing again. Maybe I'll talk to him next time. His son is Julius from Part 8, who boxes Jason on the roof and gets his head knocked off. <laughs> See, I was yeah. wondering. Yeah. Everything is centered around Tina. And or, Rose, yep. And, yeah, and then we get introduced to Rose, who is very Carrie-esque. And yes. I want to hone in on that because, you know, Seven's always been kind of referred to as Jason meets Carrie. Correct. Um, But now you introduce Rose, and she's a lot more Carrie than Tina has ever been. 100%. She's, whether she means to be or not, she's darker. She's, you know, she she has, there's evil in this girl. 100%. Even, even, um, I mixed in a little fire starter when her hair was blowing there. Yeah. Kind of like a fire starter. Yeah. So where did Rose come from? As far as um, my character-wise or yeah. really in the story? Uh, character-wise, like the idea for Rose. So character-wise, it was, I always wanted to have, so at, at the end of Seven, right? You watch Seven. At the end, um, the fireman who's John Carl Beekler takes the mask and like puts it together when it's cracked. That's John Carl Beekler, the director yeah. and the special effects. And then they leave in, in the back of the ambulance. And you're like, where, where the fuck did they go? What happened? I always wanted to know. And then you got eight. And you're like, eight didn't tell you what happened. I didn't like eight. It was very boring, you know, on the ship most of the time. And I mean, the Manhattan thing was cool, but it was like, to me, it was always like, what happened to them? So it was always going to be Tina. But to me, Tina was never like strong enough to be what they wanted her to be. So it's like, they want to study her and weaponize her, but she never really lives up to what she's supposed to be. Almost like Anakin Skywalker, when he gets his arms and legs taken off and becomes Darth Vader, he yeah. never really was what he was supposed to be. So they're, they're studying her and they're coming up with that serum, which is DMT, which is a real drug, methamphetamine, which is Joe Rogan takes and Mike Tyson, which is called the spirit molecule, which is what they manifest, right? So to me, it made sense. Um, and then I'm like, I needed something different to add to the story. So Rose, part seven is the new blood. Rose is Rose blood. She's the newer, newer blood. She's stronger than Tina. She doesn't even need the serum. So it's almost like the member of the colonel says, Shepard is now obsolete. We're going to move forward with, with Rose. So that was the whole idea. She, Rose was the character that is, Tina loves her like a daughter. And they have that sister bond that I think works out pretty good in the movie. But she's also evil. People are telling her she's evil. But, but uh, Tina loves her. People die in the room. She comes out. Oh, are you okay? Well, it's not my blood. Oh, okay. We'll take care of you. With like little hints to Tina that she is evil. So I needed that like dichotomy between them where Tina wanted to be the big sister to, to a little they All they have is themselves in that facility. But Rose is, is pure evil and Tina is pure. Tina is pink and she's pure and Rose is red because she's evil. Yeah. 
I want to kind of segue from Roseblood for a second and focus on Rose. There's, yeah. we, we see a, you know, everyone sitting around the table watching a video that we don't get to see about Rose's yeah. history. And we, he, you know, we hear bits and pieces of Rose's past. Um, and then later, and we'll hit on it, we see a big reveal from Rose's past. Yes. Do you at this time or has it crossed your mind have plans on making a rose centered movie regard you know centering around what they watched on that film yes i i can tell you everything they watched on the film and how it pertained to the big reveal if you if you want if you allow me to with the spoilers is that something we can yes please yeah so um when they're watching the generals like what you see here is the home security no one came in the house no one left the house so what Rose did in her sleep uh, unintentionally was manifest Michael. That's Michael on the t on the TV that everybody sees slaughtering everybody. But I couldn't show you that yet because then it would ruin the reveal. Right. So Rose's power has always been Michael. Later on, when they put her in the room and they put the strobes on her head, you don't see that, but that's what they do. They don't give her the serum yet. They put those little strobes on her head like Tina had, and they manifest Michael. That's Michael's kitchen knife that goes to the door. When the jet, when the army personnel goes, he has no face. That's Michael's face, white and pale. It's not somebody's face removed. And then later on, she's drawing with the red crayon. If you look and you pause it, that's Michael in the corner with his lapel and his hood on with everyone dead in the room. And at the end again, you hear all three sayings, an army of these things. She slaughtered her parents. He has no face. And then the Michael reveal. Mm -hmm. So it's always been Michael that she could pull out. Did it again. <laughs> yeah, man. You like that? <laughs> and, and, and if I do a part two, it's going to be around exactly what happens after Rose is stabbed because Tina's right there and the Duke's still alive. It'll be after that. And you'll have different flashbacks. You'll have flashbacks forward to Tina and Nick escaping and then the rest of the story from 89. It'll be the same, but like in reverse. Yeah. As we talked beforehand, you got invested in these characters as a viewer. Um, because you know, th there's r reviews have been kind of mixed. You, you, there's either been the people who just absolutely love it or, you know, you catch shit cause Jason's only in it for about the last half hour. But yeah. well, I gotta, I gotta say it's more like 80, 20. Right. And there's a group of haters on that, but yeah, I, and I understand, like I told you that people would, I'm the, I'm a Jason fan man. look at my house in my room. Mm -hmm. Like I understand that people would be, Hey, we're not going to get them. But I'm like, Hey man, I want to do something different. Vengeance. I love vengeance. Jason Brooks, all that. That's the 40, 50 kill movie. Yeah. I'm like, I need to do something different. I'm going to take the slings and arrows of people saying, hey, he's not in it early enough. I knew that. That was all a, con con a conscious effort. But I'm like, I want you to miss him like Jaws. And I want to build these characters so you give a shit at what happens to him. If I ask you, hey, what's the colonel about? Or what's the general about? Or what's Rose about? Or what's Julius about? The general, You know. You Dude. know their character, their arc, where they're from, right? So, so it makes sense. Either you don't want them to die or you want them to die. So I was willing to take the heat from the Jason fans. And I understand it, man. I'm a Jason fan. I got 70 masks um, to, to build the characters. I wanted to do something different. Because, I mean, how many movies? I, I think all the way up to six and seven of the last movies, you, the characters you actually care about. After that, they're just kind of throwaways. So that was the sacrifice I was going to make. And yeah. in, in regards to Julius, it helps drive Duke in the later movie. Correct. It's because you know, I mean these two are friends, and yep. dude sees him get his face ripped off. 
Yeah. I mean, and then are Jason you shows serious? It him, shows it to him like, "Fuck you!" Here's your friend's face. Yeah, like, are are you kidding me? Yeah, we had to we had to take Joe's face right, mold it. That's Joe Cabanz as a character or the real guy, and then we had to shave him and then go over his eyebrows and everything so that when he pulled his face off, there's no more hair anywhere. You know, so that, that was it. We only had one take with that. I thought Jason Brooks did a great job. Oh yeah, I say the face rip was gorgeous. Yeah, you know, just, you. just the right amount of gore. You had the you had the uh, like the sticky entrails kind of coming out too from the goo. It was yeah, beautiful. And then scene. he shows it to him. I love when he shows yeah, like fuck you, here's your friend, right up against <laughs> <Yeah>. the door. <laughs> <laughs> and if you notice when he when he grabs the machete, I always thought like, how do I get the machete back to Jason? Because when he looks at the wall, remember he picks the weapons. Yeah, I'm like, well, Julius would be a janitor. He'd be a grounds crewman. You know, it'd be the woods outside. Yeah. He'd have a machete. When he grabs that machete, if you look, Julius's face is just sitting right there on the concrete. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it, it helps drive Duke's character in nine. You know, because when right. we see Duke later, he has a chip on his shoulder. You don't know why. Right. Right. You know, and that's never explained. You know, he just right. he hates Jason. Why does he hate Jason? You know, it can't right. just be he hates supernatural things. Right. Now You're right. there's it's personal. Right. Yo. And it makes sense. It's almost like if you put seven Roseblood and nine together, it kind of makes sense now. Yeah. You know, it's he watched Jason rip his friend's face off and he's going to do what it takes to put this motherfucker in the ground. Right. 100%. The general's task force, you kind of as you're watching, you kind of start taking bets. Okay, who's going out first? Yeah. Yeah. And. That's kind of, that's what I like when I'm watching like a slasher film. It's like, all right, which dick's going out first? You know, right? And they all think they're badass. Yeah, you know, yeah. That that that's that total '80s vibe. The general laughing with the red light, almost like a Bond character. Yeah, Striker and 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 um, uh, Cutter for knives, just like over the top '80s. That's why they have the Rambo. That's why I did the Rambo reference mm-hmm. and the, the Batman and the Terminator and the the Enter the Dragon. All that '80s machismo that you don't see in movies anymore. I I, I purposely almost like self made fun of ourselves by going over the top with it. You know, so you're watching these guys, and you know, like we talked, it's, you're either going to make a connection with them or you want them to die. Right. And so, like, when the janitor died, th- that was a you know that yeah. that was a gut wrencher. When yeah. Rose gets stabbed, it's like, oh, God. In, in the premiere, the crowd went, no, you know, because I, I had to have a big twist with that, you know, and I, well, Tina wasn't going to die, so it had to be Rose. Yeah, and it sucks. And now what's interesting is, is she dead? Well, yes, as of now. But if I do a part two, there's so many variables because you have you have different dimensions, you have different multiverses you it could be different and that that was definitely going to be she was going to be in two for sure well say and with as strong as she is you know who's to say a knife in the gut would kill her you know i mean it's like she's dead but we've seen enough of these movies to know that dead doesn't always mean dead right (laughs) you know know, it's funny that that scene so we shot 16 we shot the whole movie in eight days we shot 16 hour days straight for seven days that day is the last day 21 hours we're literally delirious and she's sitting there's a there's a plank and people are holding it and she's sitting on it and i'm sitting in there in the apple box just like this as a director and i go look over at him 
and it was so good because then she kind of looked over with the knife at him while she's holding him. It was it was just absolutely <laughs> beautiful. It worked out like there's no way I could have planned that. I'm not saying it was made up because it wasn't. I was just so tired, and I was like, look over at him, and it just worked perfect, you know. And he's holding her, and and that's the other thing. She she wasn't strong enough to send them all the way back. She never had. So so if I can if I may, uh, Tina doesn't have a red eye rose does because rose is evil so she's already predominantly evil when she combs her hair and sees the red eye tina needs 30 years of shots to get the red eye that she does at the end and the shots are killing her kind of like logan right with his steel yeah so if you look at her arm the the hole from the shots is is rotting and all her veins are turning black it's killing her but it took her 30 years to become as strong as rose was naturally when rose gets the double shot she's super samian she's too red eye and she could bring michael and put them all back but she's young to it she's new and she couldn't send them all the way back jason defeats michael in that portal steals his knife and then stabs her with it because you kind of think it's michael at first the way yeah. the music is and then it fades back to, to Jason, 100%. And I wanted to like pay homage to part one when she's in the, the canoe and you think everything's safe. And then Jason jumps out kind of like that was my scene for that. I say, and then just, and you're just like, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, you did. The whole audience was like, no, because they loved Rose. You know, even yeah. though she's kind of evil. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, she gets portrayed as, you know, this evil being. And it's, I mean, it's hammered on. Like, yeah. you know, when uh, Duke wants to, you know, is kind of convinced to go save uh, Tina, right. you know, it's, well, what about Rose? Well, she's too far gone, you know, mm -hmm. and so it's hammered on. But as a viewer, you're like, well, maybe there's some redemption left. Yeah. You know, maybe she's not that far gone. Maybe with a little bit of help, she could still right. uh, lead a normal-ish life. And then it's just gone. That's what I wanted to build on where, where she tries to send them back. It's almost like she's become different. She's become the good person, you know, and then she dies right when you totally then switch to loving her again. Bang, she dies, which fuels the anger from Tina, you know. Then we flash forward to the present again and we get Tina in the interrogation room in present day. In the facility. In hotter mental facility. In, in hotter, hotter mental, in hotter mental yeah. facility, which yep. was a nice nod. And what's Tina color then? She's black. Yep. Yep. And, you know, she scares the crap out of one orderly, and the other orderly is like, you don't scare me. You're, you're just somebody that killed your parents on purpose, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, delusions don't scare me. And yeah. it, it was funny because, like, you could see the rage building and just... Yeah. This, like, untapped, just like primal, yeah. I, I don't know, something building in her. And if, if, I, if I may, on, on the crossword puzzle, please, also, uh, that's a 30-year crossword puzzle. So that exact crossword puzzle I made um, to have words that mean to her. So when I first signed Lar, I told her that I would keep her legacy intact. And if you remember, in the, at that point, she goes, what word fits? Legacy. Yeah. It works. And earlier on was manifest which manifests Jason. And then at the end, there's one word down, vengeance, because I was part of vengeance. And there's a crossword, the last final word, let me finish the session, right? This is when she's finally strong enough. She finally, she finishes the session and the last word is rose. And when or Jenkins is killed, his blood hits her face and hits the paper. And guess what? She takes the pen, dips it in blood and writes rose, rose blood. Yeah. 
So yeah. it was a nice, uh, yeah. like, oh, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and then the big battle, which is that you've been waiting for 30 something years for. Right. You know, mm. and she's, she's finally strong enough. And, yep. you know, Mr. Your delusions don't scare me. Like, well, you know, my delusions right behind you. And right. like, I think it was what next snap, basically. Uh, he hits him with his machete. That's the blood that splatters on her face. Yep. And then she portals him back to hell. I, I'm assuming it was hell. Yeah, no, it wasn't originally hell. It was just a different portal. But when Nick showed up, she didn't. She's like, oh, my God, Nick's here. And then he looks over at Nick and then she she's strong enough finally to get rid of him forever. She wanted to fight him. She just didn't care about her life anymore because the shots were killing her. Remember, she itches yeah. her arm and all black and then she just sends him to fucking hell. And that's the devil saying no and then he's fighting through the portal trying to come back and then she finally sends him back <laughs> he's like i don't want him <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then we i wanted to recreate that seven scene so that was barbasol and blood when like it's his brain guts with the with the mask yeah. right and it was tightening and then we had a girl behind jason just pull the mask out when it broke and he did the jaw thing it was pretty cool i say that that was definitely a nice uh nod back with the mask tightening down around the face and the, the, yeah. the ooze coming out. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm friends with Kane, so I send it to Kane. I'm like, you like that? He's like, good job, Petey. So I was like, oh, <laughs> man, thanks, <man." laughs> Well, see, and that, that, that's the other thing that's fun is uh, Jason uh, Brooks got to be Kane in this one. Oh, yeah. We spent a lot of time on that. You know, and he, he got the, you know, the the heavy chest pumping breathing that Kane brought in and head turn. Yeah. You know, yeah. he brought a lot of the Kane mannerisms into this Jason and carried it off very well. Thank you. I thought he did a great job, man. It, I mean, I know I'm biased because I'm good friends with him and I worked with him on vengeance, but if I was going to go with anybody for my Jason, it was always going to be him. And he knows how big of a Kane fan I am and how I'm friends with Kane and he knew the breathing. You don't breathe with your shoulders. You breathe with your chest. Yeah, so you, you pump like, it all out. Yeah, there's only like two scenes where he had to work on. When he takes that weed eater and he slams it. He first took the weed eater and he put it down. And then he like pulled it, pulled it. Like, no, but you don't care bigger. about this. Slam the shit out of it. You rip the shit out of the head turn, body turn, breath, and then go. And he's like, yes, it's in behind the scenes. And he's like, yeah, yeah, because he needed that. And I know that we love each other. We're like best friends. Like he, he'd be pissed if I didn't tell him that. And it came out bad. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of trust we have. Because you don't know when you're in that outfit with the mask, you don't really know what you look like, you know? Yeah, like the first time you really see him on screen, uh, you know, it, it's... Water? Yeah. You're, yeah. You're like, all right, cool. And then, you know, he comes out and you get him in the facility and he's just that huffing breathing. And you're yeah. like, all right, I'm in. Let's go. Yeah. You know, so it's definitely well worth the wait for jason to appear yeah another easter egg there too is the the shotgun by kane right that's the guy who plays the guy holding the shotgun his character name is kane he says um me old bessie she a real bitch betsy palmer that yep. was like a throwback to her yeah and then that punch through the heart that was also from seven and it's like a smart ass he's like you hit like a bitch oh yeah and then you know punch <laughs> i hit like a bitch wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> That was great. During that shot, I'm right there with the camera. I got blood all over my shirt and everything. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. It's so worth it. I want to talk about your character, the general. What'd you think? For a hard-ass general, it was great. 
what was the inspiration for the hard ass general and like how you portrayed him? Because I mean, you, you we grew up roughly the same era, yeah. So you know, we we saw kind of the same characters on on TV and movies. So like when when you wrote the hard ass general, like who did you have in mind? Good question. I, I just kind of always had like the eighties villains in mind and kind of like a bond villain too with that, that over laugh when the when the red light hits me it's like over the top 80s kind of villain um to to be honest it's real easy for me to be a dick <laughs> so i've always been kind of like yeah <laughs> like growing up i was always kind of like alpha male-ish and played football and fought and you know a bodybuilder and all that so that kind of came easy but in the 80s like all those villains weren't like they're more like sophisticated today and almost like you don't know what side they're on. But back then, it was like a pure evil, you know, they're dicks. And I needed someone to drive the story of what they're trying to do, which is the general he doesn't care about if the side effects don't work with the serum. He doesn't care about Sykes. Sykes is like a puppet of him. He's just going to drive home his vision. Nobody can fuck with him. And my whole vision to answer your question is in 1989, if you were a two star general in the United States, you were pretty much one of the most powerful motherfuckers in the world, mm -hmm. right? So that that was the whole story, that no one would disobey him, no one would fuck with him, and he could basically get away with whatever he wanted to. And then, yeah, I, I loved it. You threw in, like, one of the ultimate, like, 80s villain tropes. You're not sure how evil he is until he gets his eye messed up, and he has yeah. to wear an eye patch. And, yeah. and then it really sinks in yeah. where his like the dark side kind of comes out and he he really goes full dick and yeah which sets him off to the manifest yeah, and all that you know and, and he really goes down that rabbit hole otherwise he's just like you know he's just a dick and then right. rose messes up his eye and he's he's off to the races man he's yeah. he's off the reservation and he's it's downhill from there and we only had one take with that because my costume, that's that's a $2,000 general costume. In, in, in 2000, I learned all this because there's a bunch of military people on the movie that actually were actors. Tommy Lee Driver, the colonel, uh, Wilson, who was the door guard. Um, and in 2000, they went to what you call blues. There's no longer that deep green mm -hmm. no more. So um, we had to go get I had a 54 inch chest. So we had to go get the green 54 inch chest. I had to figure out, okay, well, if it's 1989, they would have been in Vietnam with all their ribbons. So I had to find all that. And then they give me a sponge, which is full of blood. We have to dry my hand and I have to squeeze it into my eye. If you look, it's pretty cool. Like the blood shoots out when the glass hits me in the eye, but it also went all over my chest. We really only had like one take with it. So I had to like make sure I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, squeeze this and turn. And it was kind of, kind of stressful. And then Sanaya, right? Sean Lutzis, who's the executive producer, Sanaya Rose, that's his dad, her dad, her mom. And she's 16 years old. And they're sitting right outside the room with a mirror, right? A window looking at me. I'm like, you fucking piece of shit. Go fucking die. I'll show you. I felt so bad. Like after the scene was done, I'm like, I'm sorry. I yelled at your daughter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was real mean right there, you know? <laughs> well, and one of the other great things about this movie, I mean, for a 16-year-old, she sold it. Yeah. She has the most arc, right? Think about it with me. If you look at it, she plays the victim. She plays the bully. She plays um, happy, like like with Tina. She plays sad. Am I a monster? She plays smartass with with uh, yeah. You have a big forehead, whatever. She lit. She cries at one point. Mm -hmm. She literally has the biggest range of emotion. She's the victim, and then she's the bully when she pulls Michael. So yeah. like, she has the hardest range of, of emotions by far. I think I think Jessica 
Dr. Sykes kept the whole glue together. Dr. Sykes, David McMahon, is a phenomenal actor. He's in almost every scene. So between her, him, and Rose, they were like the driving force. Of the oh, movie. yeah. Because me, me was easy. I just had to make, I had to be a dick and have people hate me. And that's my job. You know, they had to have like much more than that. I say with Sykes, he had to uh, like have that almost false sense of security. You know, yeah. where that, oh, I'm on your side. I'm, I'm here to help. But at right. the end of the day, he's there to he's he's working for the government. Right. And, and and like he's a victim of the general and he's still doing his job. So he's a dick for doing that. But he still feels bad for them. I kind of wrote him that he's that in-between character. You don't know how to take him. And that's yeah. why at the end, he's like, it's not my fault. And you kind of feel for him, but you don't. He played a great job because he kind of sold the way I wrote it. Yeah. It's like you feel I mean, you understand he's just doing his job. Right. But, you know, it, it's that age old question. If he's just doing his job and his job's a shit job, is he a shit person? Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. He's too cowardly to go at the general. And I wanted to depict that right from the beginning. So when we're in front of the Duke's room, I'm like, open it. And he's like, okay. You know, like you kind of <laughs> okay. see it. And then with a the cigar, she's like, is that hair? And I'm like, obviously, you know, kind of like showing that he's scared of the general. Yeah. And it, it came across great. And then, you know, you have Rose, a 16-year-old girl who is just an amazing actress. Thank you. I agree. Like, that, honestly, for me, that was one of the biggest standouts, was you see this young, this young woman who, like you said, can go from victim to bully to, you know, killer to victim to, you know, just the whole gamut of emotions. And... There are, like, seasoned actresses that don't pull it off that well. I agree. So, to see that in someone so young yeah. is, A, refreshing, and B, just outstanding. Yeah, and to have her father there and her mother, and to meet her right, because her father is one of my good friends, right, one of my best friends, Sean. And I told him I was going to write her a certain way. And he told me she can pull it off. Beat. You know, I never saw that before. I believed him, but you never saw it. So you don't know. And to write it like that. And you got to imagine that scene with Tina, right? Like we're doing 50 different scenes. And then all of a sudden, hey, you're up. This is the scene. You're a monster. You got to cry. You got to build it in. Go. That's not easy, man. No. That's not easy. You know, and, and she just met Jessica, Tina, and she goes. And I think that scene right there, she holds her hand. Love you, sis. And man, I think that really sold it. It was a phenomenal job by both of them. Jessica does a really good job of recreating, as it were, the uh, young Tina. The pearls. Yeah. Remember the pearls? She talked yeah. about the pearls, breaking the pearls. Yeah. You know, and she was a good continuation of, you know, the younger, you know, Lar. And, yeah. you know, you're. When you were casting this, were you specifically looking for people that looked the part, or were you just, uh, was that just kind of like a happy accident? Happy accident, man. Great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So I just posted on our, on our, on the site, there's, there's a page on the Facebook site where the folder, we had that premiere, right? And I, I posted a bunch of Polaroid pictures that we took. I, I bought a brand new Polaroid camera. It's like an HD that really shoots out Polaroids. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Just go to the Facebook page, man, and go to, go to the folders and look for Polaroids. I just posted it today. Um, I had 165 submissions, um, video submissions for that character. Um, 
and I'll tell you the truth. I, I was number one on her from, from the beginning. She's probably like the 30th submission that I saw. So in my mind, I think you'll agree with me, Paul, is in part seven, right? When you go back and look at Laura Park Lincoln's masterful performance, how many times does she even talk? Barely. Yeah. She's always acting through her eyes mm -hmm. and through her face and through her arms and stuff like that. So to me, it was always huge. I needed to find someone that you could see the microaggressions and the micro acting in their eyes without saying too much because that's how Tina was. And when I saw Jessica Hopman's performance, by the way, Jessica never acted in anything in the history of her life. And that was her first time when I saw her eyes and what she could do through her eyes. I'm like, we have her because even though she's brand new. I know I can coach her and bring her to where I got to bring her because those eyes, it's kind of like a Barry Sanders and running. You, you can't teach that. No, I, I acting is one of the hardest skills to master. And I think that was her strength that because you always knew where she was with her eyes, you know, and that kind of told the, the, the story where you felt for her. Or she was mad even when she's when she's going against Sanchez with the, the throat choke, like her eyes there. So that to me was the biggest thing. And then she's you know attractive young lady and then the blonde hair. And then we we talked about the bangs and we're like, no, it's 13 months later. The bangs would have grew out. OK, fine. We'll go that route. So we really put a lot of time in that. I mean, she was on the ball maybe like three times. I had to tell her, OK, this is what's going on. This is why. But I think she sold that she sold the motherly figure with mm -hmm. Rose. She sold the victim. She sold that she needed Dr. Sykes to be the friend. Remember the, when Dr. Sykes has the um, um, Star Wars mitts on and she reaches for him. She's reaching for connection. She's reaching to touch him. Doctor, can I get out of here? She touches a mitt. What happens? He removes his hand and it's empty. Yeah. There's no connection. She leaves him. And that's when she gets up and gives her last time. I need to get out of here. Where's Nick? And and all that. And she she sold that. Man. She was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. my, my major crew of acting was just phenomenal. I'm so lucky. Yeah, no, it, it's you. You assembled a uh, killer cast. Kill, Thank you. It, it was shot gorgeously. The effects were great. I mean, and, and the kills. Oh my god! What do you think about Sanchez with the bullet falling out? You see that, <laughs> dude? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, because yeah, it was perfect. You know, she's racking the gun, and it's like, damn it, and, and she does that. Well, fuck it, just kill me. And then the bullet drops out, and uh, you're like, oh, there's the bullet you needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that scene, so you know, uh, I'm a big fan of The Crow. You yeah. You've seen The Crow, right? Well, remember that? Remember that? Shoot it up. Whatever. They drink the shot with the mm -hmm. bullet. So that was always in my mind that I wanted to put that into a movie somehow. So that's how I did it. And I also had to buy time. Like when Jason came in, like, why wouldn't all five of them rush him? Well, uh, Brolick would rush him because he's the leader, right? And then striker's asleep listening to Bach because he's more of a tactician and she's sick in the bed and striker's a knife guy so it kind of bought the time for the events to happen and then the shotgun guy couldn't take the shot because they're both together and shotgun's a wide shot right so he's like take the shot he's like can't get the I shot, got so the like, shot. <laughs> yeah that's kind of like the way i needed it and then when we did the guts we body casted her 100 percent and then Amos effects who did a great job with that they built the guts and all that and we did homage to part three Remember when the guy was on his hands and he gets cut in half? Yeah. So we cut the floor out and we bought an $800 piece of plexiglass. And we had my buddy Ryan race cameraman number two underneath in minus degree weather in Seattle in March, <laughs> upside down with the camera. So when her gut, we only had one take with that and her gut spill out. And then I'm sitting off corner and just throw the bullet and try to throw it on there. And I thought that was great. It worked out pretty good. I kept hoping that uh, Jason would put on Striker's mask. Because that black with the red mask, I thought would have looked killer on him. 
that was a fan. So I, in, in the, in the Indiegogo campaign, I said, build your own mask for Jason and we'll put it in the film. And that was a fan who made that. And I put it on striker because it made sense. It would like close his eyes and he yeah. would listen to music. Like so a sleep mask. Going on. Yeah. By the way, a little trivia. Um, that's a, we had one fake bottle left of vodka. So all the, the words are like one letter off. So Budweiser is like Bud Wiener or whatever, <laughs> you know, like the labels. So um, we had one shot to get that bottle. It was me. So I had the knife and I'm like, just off camera, I'm like, Aah! and I fucking threw the knife and I hit the bottle and broke it. It was like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have another bottle. So I was like, thank God we got it right. He's like, we got it. Yes. Done. Yeah. Solid. <laughs> credits roll. Oh, yeah. And after credits, there's two things I want to talk about. Yep. Um, we'll bring it down a little bit and then we'll go back up. You added yep. an in memoriam to your uh, yes. movie, which I thought was really uh, cool. Thank you. Um, now, having gone through on Facebook, I I noticed uh, I, I, I was like, okay, Carl Carl Buchler was on there. Um, yes, I I'm assuming the one picture was I think Hugh's parents. I can go through the whole list if you want me to. Yes, please, actually. So, so the first woman is David McMahon, Dr. Sykes' mom, who passed away probably one month after the film was shot. Mm. So in April, and David McMahon, we, it, it, we're like a family on the set, yeah. man. That's the way I've been raised. And my, my dad's from Italy and mom's from Cuba and, and just this family-oriented thing. And I, I was a bad kid, man. I was a, you know, I've done a lot of bad things. And if it wasn't for my parents, I'd probably be in jail or dead. So I've always had this family atmosphere. And then with, with this, I mean, imagine me, man, being a kid, like look at me as a fan and yeah. to make my dream come true and have these people fly out different parts of the country and give their time and effort to me for my dream. I always wanted it to take care of them. And unfortunately, a lot of death happened. So the first one is David McMahon's mom passed away. So none of them knew I was doing this. So I, I wanted to make the memoriam. So I put her in there. Um, the second one, I believe, is, is my buddy M.P. Strang. So that's John. I grew up with him. He lives in Connecticut with me. His dad passed away last year um, from a, um, a lung disease, basically. So I put that in. And, and, the, and the thing is, is when those pictures are hitting, they all start crying in, in the premiere. Uh, the third one is Jay Quinn Broden, the Duke. His mom passed away from cancer about a year and a half, two years ago. Put that in. Um, the fourth one is Carl, the cane, the shotgun. His mom just died as soon as the film was done. Um, the next one is my best friend, Chris Esposito. Uh, six six two eighty um, passed away. Um, I was with him in the hospital holding his hand. Uh, one of my best friends ever. Um, so I wanted to put him. His brother was in the audience. Wanted to put him in. And then my stepson. It's a long, long story. Was taken from me from his mom, who was a drug addict, and a big story. So mm. I, I wanted this to be special, and I wanted it to be a family oriented thing, and I wanted to show everyone I care about everyone, and we loved each other. And I, and you saw that too. I wanted to thank the fans that this is my dream, and I'm no one zero without everyone who gave me their time, their money, and their effort. And I, I'll never forget that. So I wanted to put that seriousness in there uh, for all time um, before I set up that last little specialness. Yeah. In Memoriam was very special. And then there's one final scene. Oh, yeah. And it's Jason with a pitchfork. You know who that Jason is, right? That's Savini Jason from the Friday 13th, the game. That's Tom Savini's rendition of Jason Goes to Hell. So that uh, costume that Jason Brooks has on, I played as a cosplay in Monster Mania in, in a contest. So that in Friday 13th, the games, Tom Savini made Savini Jason. 
So that that trident is actually the, I talked to Tom. It's his specs for the trident. I had it 3D printed by Villains in Love by Ruben Morales. And if you look at the game, he's in hell with his eyes fired. So in the game, Savini said Jason went to hell and defeated the devil and stole his trident. So where did Tina send Jason? To hell. So that's Jason defeating the devil and getting ready to be like the ultimate power to be continued. Which then leads me to what's next? Um, that one's always going to be open, but I think I'm going to do original content next that I can put on. Like um, now that I have a great crew and I've, I've had some success and people behind me, um, like I want to I have this movie called Laugh in my mind, which is like a like a, like a clown uh, movie, um, but different. It's almost like, you know, football is like pretty much the biggest thing on TV at certain nights. But in this realm, in this world, clowns are the number one entertainment. And it's a really dark, dark story about two different clowns, one on the East Coast, one on the West. One is a really good guy, but they think he's a loser. And one's a real bad guy, but the, he, they think he's really great. And they have this like contest and they come together and there's, there's a lot of stuff. I, I started to write it, uh, but now that I have so many resources and people that I, I've had from the other movies, I think I could pull it off and i want to take one stab it's a ballsy stab but i want to take one stab at like releasing it on amazon and making an original content film that we actually can make money on yeah. instead of losing on so it's it's a big risk but hey man if you're in it then what are you doing you know you might as well try right well yeah. it's like when i was talking to you know when i was when i sat down with jason brooks you know we had talked about how you said that you had this idea for a short for roseblood and yeah. You know, it was aim for the feature. If it becomes a short, so be it. But aim right. for the feature, and you have a feature. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't imagine this as a short. No. It, there'd, there'd be no character development, no. you know? It, it, yeah. it would just be a quick slash and grab. So... And it, you, you wouldn't care. You no. wouldn't care about the people that died. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, to me, the, number four is my, this one's four, right? So Ted White has this knife signed everything in there. Uh, six is over there. So every single shadow box is every mask, machete, weapon, VHS signed by every Jason of all time. This one here is part three, and that's the actual Fangoria that she's holding in the cop. Yeah. So I have every single one, including Vengeance, on the wall. So, so. So to me, I just I, I always wanted to build the characters. Four. What are the best character films? Four and six, if you ask me. Even two yeah. is a great character building film. And then after that, seven. Jason is the star in seven and Tina. But after that, eight, nine, eh, even two thousand nine. Freddy vs. Jason in two thousand nine, probably the easiest throwaway characters ever. Right? Oh, you don't yeah. really care about him. So to me, it was I'm gonna listen. I, I know what Jason's about. No one knows what Jason's about more than me. I'm going to take the slings and arrows and I'm going to build these characters. So you give a shit about them. And yeah, I got some shit. Some people are like, Hey, Jason doesn't show up till over an hour in yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I knew that I, I put out, but you, I don't, I didn't hear nobody say you didn't care about those characters. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's what I was going for. You got, you got to make a risk somewhere. Say no risk, no reward. Right. Right. And, I, I, you like you even said, you were, you were pulled in, you said invested to the character. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I wanted, you know? Well, and you know, it's, you know, we, we've been watching this character, you know, we, we've been watching Jason for years now. Yes, right. you, you could go out, you can make another just rack the body count movie. Right. Why? You know, there, there's plenty of those. Right. You know, it, it's it's really it really is a double edged sword, because if you went out and that was your purpose, then you'd be catching hell because that's all you did. You just made another, you know, right. slasher, you know, just kill for kill's sake movie so it's right you can't win at the oh, end of the day make what film. you want to make 
Right. 100%. You know, people with me too, they're like, well, you could have awoken him in the lake and you could have had him kill um, somebody camping on the way there. No, nobody's camping because it's government owned property. No one would be within a mile or 10 miles of it. Right. Well, you could have had them kill a security guard or, or some military personnel on the outside. Yeah, you're right. But that would just be throwing. And I, I would never have time to build that character. So you wouldn't give a shit about it. So why do it? Exactly. Why, why does this kill count have to be that way? It doesn't make any sense to me. I have no sex, no nudity, and no drugs in the film. And that's on purpose, just to, to build that story. You know, build the story of the characters and then have the fast team think that they're cocky and then have Jason show you you ain't shit. Yeah. You know, and just mow through everybody. And even the general, I mean, I love that fact because in my mind, the general has a vision, right, of what he wants to be. And Rose takes half his vision away and Jason takes the rest. Yep. And for a small moment, he's blind and his vision is robbed from him before he's killed. Oh, yeah. You know, how about that? Stra- Dude, that strang hand one, the Ooh. Amos brothers. Oh, man, they made the animatronics. We had to throw that fucking hand like 50 times because it's, it's like jello, right? So it doesn't like throw or land like you think it does. And then every time we threw it, somebody had to squirt blood. And then either the blood hit the hand or it didn't hit right. We have to scrub the floor and fucking do it like 10 times until we got it right. And then there's an animatronic. So Brent Edget is holding that animatronic's hand and we've got blood squirting through the fingers and they're pulling all these levers. And oh, I thought that scene was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and just, yeah, just different kills that you're not used to seeing and different ways of killing them. What, what, let me ask you, what was your two, three favorite kills? The face rip and the hand rip, actually, because yeah, you, exactly. you don't see that, you, you know, the, the skin getting ripped off the hand or the face getting, well, ripped off the face. Right. I mean, I agree. I have that one, two, and then I have the weed eater as three only, especially because the bullet at the end for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause they're different. I mean, you, you get the giant, I guess, pruner through the wall. Um, yeah. You know, so you get the obligatory through the wall kill, you get the machete kills, you get the hands on kills, but, you know, just the visceral, like ripping somebody's face off or yeah, ripping the skin off of somebody's hand like it's a glove. That's. Yeah. Which that's makes something. sense because he had he had the he had the briefcase handcuffed to his hand. Yeah. So, so it just all then, slides off as a glove, man. That was. Yeah. Hey, another Easter egg for you. I get excited. Sorry. When uh, Brent Edgett, Brent Edgett played the shape. So he played Michael. He was the guy who was in the room with the closet when Jason kills him. So he goes into the closet, right? And he reaches up, memory grabs a box. He's like looking for a weapon and he pulls out a horn. That's the exact horn from seven. I had it recreated, 3D printed and colored. The one he kills the girl in the eye with, that's what that is. Now, you see the shot like this, right? With a half wall in the middle and Jason's blue. And the other one's white. That's the exact scene from Maddie. Maddie loses their earrings. She goes into that barn. There's lightning and crashing. And one half of the barn is blue. And the other half is not. And he breaks through the wall with that semi-sickle and kills her. I do the same thing with the large sickle through his stomach. Yeah. And then rip him through the wall. So that was a straight homage to Seven right there. This has been fun. And... Thanks. Hopefully I like enlightened you on some things because i know it takes a bunch of times to watch it to, to oh, understand yeah. it i say this is definitely one of those where the more you watch it the more you can pick things out and yeah, oh, another one too melton milton remember garbage pail kids yeah well he's trading melton milton with hot rod melton milton has his face pulled off in the card <laughs> joe Caban. hot rod kelly ellison has hot rod tattooed on her arm sanchez nice yeah didn't catch that yeah. one one more the magic eight ball so Dr. Sykes 
He goes, oh, my sister's going to marry this FBI agent named Mahoney. I think he's cheating on her, shakes the ball. In part nine, when Jason's blown up, the camera goes to a first-person view of an FBI agent. He walks in, he goes, good job, Mahoney. That's what we were playing in there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me going, Paul. Don't get me going, man. No, we'll we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, Uh, man. But before we wrap this up, where can listeners... uh, you know, follow you on the social medias and keep up to date with any upcoming projects and stuff you have. So it's um, Friday F thirteen Roseblood on Instagram. It's Friday thirteenth. Um, it's it's Roseblood a Friday thirteenth fan film on 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 Facebook, um, and then it's just Roseblood on I'm on everything on, on Twitter on Shutter on Reddit on everything, and then on Peter Anthony Productions on YouTube, you can watch the film. So um, that's where I think you watched it. That's where yeah. I would love people to watch it, comment and like and go from there. So it, it's just been a huge passion thing. I'm just a huge fan. You you can see. Um, and I've o- I always loved the fan films. And it's just an honor to be able to get those big three back. I asked Kane to play Jason, but he doesn't do uh, fan films. I'm like, come on, man. I'll get you out. I'll do this. I bought the costume. He's like, whatever, Petey. I don't do them. I'm like, fuck. All right. But <laughs> I, I, I sent it to him. He loved the movie. Are we perfect? No. We made a movie on 50 grand, not 20 million, but I think it's a love letter to the franchise. I'm glad people like you and, and most fans like it. Oh, yeah. And listeners, I'll post those links in the episode description. And as always, you can find me and other great podcasters over on electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. And, you know, like I said, uh, Peter, we're going to have to have you on again sometime. And if nothing else, just talk Friday the 13th. Um, yeah. Hey, man, Paul, you want to grab Jason Brooks? You want to grab Jessica? You want to grab Sonia? Let me know. We'll do a whole thing. Hell yeah. Uh, uh, actually, one last question. Do you know, is there plans for a physical uh, media release on this? Yes. So um, during the Kickstarter, we're going to do another one. So we did two runs of Blu-rays and a bunch of other things that we did with it, like signed scripts, weapons, so on and so forth. There's so much demand. I'm going to do another one probably next week or two, one to two weeks. I'm going to release another Indiegogo with Blu-ray. Now, the Blu-ray is going to be special. There's not only going to be the regular movie, there's going to be a uh, director commentary with me going over the entire film. Then there's behind the scenes, then there's props, and then there's me explaining all, like me and you just did, all the fill-ins. There's interviews with Lar, Terry, uh, Kevin Spiritus. There's interviews with Rose, Sanaya, Jessica. Uh, there's going to be a multimedia interface of the Blu-ray where it's going to be like a weed eater with a spinning blade and you get to pick different things. So we're, we're trying to do two or three discs on that with different covers uh on that so that's probably going to be done around april may so we're going to do another run in a week or two and then everybody can can have a copy nice awesome and so yeah once again thanks for coming on and Thank definitely you, get get you on again congratulations on the uh stellar release i mean it just it blew up everywhere thanks man and Listeners, come back tomorrow for another episode of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas, and until next time, mash on. See you later, man. This has been Moose's Monster Mash. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>